Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast, produced in Sydney, Australia. My name is Matt Wakeling, and thank you so much for joining me. Now, today we speak to our friend Gretchen Men, who appeared on the show last September in episode number 18. We've invited her back on to speak about her new incredible album. But before we get to that, in last week's episode, you may recall, I was lamenting the fact that uh, we haven't had a Sydney guitar show in some years and pretty much 24 hours after I posted the episode, uh, my friend Brendan Coleman, g'day Brendan, uh, posted me a link to the Sydney Guitar Festival, which has just been announced, happening in August 2017. And uh, it's got some amazing guitar players lined up, including Peco Pena, uh, the Gregorian Brothers, Richie Cotson, um, Cheryl Bailey, great jazz player, and uh, a couple of celebrations of B.B. Uh, King, Chuck Berry, and Eric Clapton in different gigs, some amazing local guitarists, uh, James Norbert, Ivanie. So that's really exciting news. Um, I got in touch with the festival's PR company, and fingers crossed we'll be uh, talking to some of the people involved in that festival leading up to that date. Now, of course, in early August, the Melbourne Guitar Show is on as well, which is a fantastic festival. So two slightly differently skewed festivals, but both celebrating the guitar. So in my book, that is fantastic news. All right, one last thing before the interview with Gretchen is a word for my friends Jeff and Mick from the Amps and Axes podcast from Baltimore, Maryland, USA. Take it away, boys. Hey, podcast world. I'm Jeff Bober. And I'm Mick Marcellino of Amps and Axis. That's right. And we've got a cool podcast that talks with guitarists, manufacturers, engineers, and techs. Yeah. So check us out every Saturday on iTunes and Google Play. That's right. And as we're always saying, onward. All right, on to our interview of the day with Gretchen Men. I had a great time talking to Gretchen. She's a really cool, really great guitar player and composer, and really fun to. Uh, it was really fun to talk about the, the details and some of the nitty gritty of some of the areas I was particularly interested in uh, when it came to combining uh, orchestral strings with rock band, um, and you know how that applies as a, as a guitar player. When to put your composer's hat on and your guitar player's hat off, and vice versa. One really cool thing, during the interview, Gretchen talks about using the program Sibelius, which is a scoring program. I, I use it myself. It's really great for arranging for, for different bands and instruments and things. And um, she was explaining how the sounds are not totally inspiring as you're, um, as you're placing your notes on the score. And you're hearing back these MIDI-triggered notes. Um, but really interesting. And very kindly, Gretchen sent me uh, a snippet of some of her Sibelius tracks so we could compare. So... Have a listen to this. This is a track called Grace. First, you're going to hear uh, the Sibelius playback of the notation. Then you're going to hear a bit of the actual album track.
All right, Gretchen, thank you for the before and after. So uh, as you're listening to this, you'll know what we're talking about when we talk about Sibelius tracks and things. One more short audio example um, before we actually get to our conversation. This is a track called Savages. And uh, yeah, just listen for yourself. It's epic. And men, welcome back to the Guitar Speak podcast. It's wonderful to be back. Thanks for having me. Now, um, I've asked you back to talk about your amazing new album, Abandon All Hope. But before we get to that, I think I saw a picture on social media of you jamming out with Tracy Guns the other day. I Yes, that totally happened and it was awesome. <laughs> cool. He is so good. Oh, my God. Like I'd, I'd actually seen LA Guns a long time ago, like when I was a teenager, and he you know like at that time it's like i feel like when you see a band before you've started playing your instrument like Uh it's a kind of you don't remember the specifics you just remember like oh that was a really rocking band you know but you're not watching it as a guitar player sure um and so last night i got to or, or night before last i got to enjoy it as a guitar player and tracy's fantastic like he's got such a great combination of like a lot of technique but like so much mojo like his vibrato is just killing and like he's just such a joyful like like person on stage it's like i seriously felt like i was a teenager that is cool so yeah daniele guitardo was um was there as well yeah 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 he killed it he's always amazing so So uh, so much fun i know i got to be on stage with two actually three I mean, uh, the, the whole band is fantastic. So yeah, we had a, a four guitar, <laughs> four guitar players on stage for the song "Rip and Tear." It was a lot of fun. Very cool. Very cool. You've been in a few of these big all-star jams lately. You um, there was a really <laughs> um, cool jam at the She Rocks Awards. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it was great to be on stage with all of those people. I mean, anytime you get that many guitar players on stage. It, you know, it at least I mean, some people are great at stuff like that. For me, I'm not. <laughs> you know, I feel like I can't hear myself. Like I've I always play in situations or I generally have played in situations where I'm the only guitar player, so I'm not used to um uh dividing, you know, having to, to um recognize myself out of a you know, a sea of guitar players, you know, it's like sure. you almost get sort of parts of your brain that carves out like, okay, this is the guitar frequency and therefore this is my space. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the She Rocks thing was really, really fun. So many great players on stage and, you know, a, a lot of them are like my friends or people who I've wanted to see a bunch. Um, so it was really cool. All I got right. to hang with Nita Strauss and she, broke a string during her solo, but totally just like played through it like the rock star she is. And it was really fun, fun to stand next to her on stage. She's a, a sweetheart and a really great player. Very cool. Yeah, she plays great. Plays really great. Yeah, so. she does. She's another very joyful performer. Like I, I love her guitar playing and I love watching her too. Awesome. Good yeah. stuff. Uh, last time we spoke, I think it was, um, I think it was around August last year and you were telling me, and we're talking about your career today, and I was asking how your new record was going, not knowing much about mm-hmm. it. And I think you told me you were just about to hop on a plane to 
um, check some mixes in Italy, which sounded mm-hmm. entirely rock starish. That was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. Um, I mean, hey, any any excuse to go to Italy, right? Sure. <laughs> So obviously we're talking about the Abandon All Hope record, um, which then mm-hmm. got released in December, which is brilliant, which is a mind-blowing record. Um, we oh. had we had Michael Melinda on the show recently, and he was talking through his conversation with you. Do you, do you want to can you uh, can you give us your perspective of that when you first sprung the idea on you? Yeah, totally. Mike Michael's great. He had so much so much to do with this album. The album was his idea. I didn't know Michael very well before the album. Like I knew of him, of course, like mm-hmm. everybody who plays guitar knows of him. Yeah. And, and I had met him briefly through um, Jude Gold, you know, who I played in uh, lap dance Armageddon yeah, with yeah. our little acoustic duo. And he's a dear friend and uh, also a wonderful guitar player. Yeah, absolutely. I, so I'd met Michael through Jude and I, he'd asked, uh, he'd said he, he had some idea for a collaboration. And so I went to the meeting, I don't want to say skeptical, but kind of expecting to hear what I've heard a lot, which is you need to sing and you need to play more pop-oriented music. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I went in with the idea that that would be very likely what I would hear. I can tell you I was not expecting him to come out with me, uh, to come at me with you know, this sheet of paper he handed me that said, um, you know, Gretchen Men, Michael Melinda collaboration or something, Dante's Inferno, a journey in 11 different musical moods. Because what was so cool and serendipitous, serendipitous about it was that I had been thinking of doing something that involved really melding my love of literature with music a little bit more. I had actually thought about doing something with Macbeth. I thought mm-hmm. about doing um like jd salinger like the nine short stories uh, which actually alexandra zerner i don't know if you know her she is also an amazing guitar player and we've since sort of become long distance friends she already did that so i was like okay well <laughs> just as well um okay yeah. and uh, i thought about like f scott fitzgerald and i hadn't really settled on anything and then when i sat down with michael and he had that i was my mind was kind of blown just to be so immediately on the same page right away and to like his idea better than anything I had been churning around in my mind. So it, it was like, it didn't take any time whatsoever for me to, I basically looked at the paper and I was like, well, I know what I'm going to be doing for the next couple of years. So wow. that was, it was amazing. Really like kind of not to sound cheesy, but it was like goosebumpy, you know, of like, wow, this is, you know, to, to sit down and in a moment know exactly what you're going to be doing creatively, you know, and, and where it's going to take you. Or maybe not where exactly. Nobody can predict that exactly. But to have a sense of like, wow, I'm about to undertake something really big and I'm really excited to do it and I'm kind of scared and I want to do it right and I'm going to need to study a lot and, you know, uh, but it's really exciting. Awesome. That is so great. Yeah, so um, so Michael's idea, so he had uh, Dante Alighieri's poem, the, so Dante's yeah. Inferno, which is... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, which is, I think it's just the first movement of a, a suite of poems, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, there's the, the Divine Comedy is three, uh, Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso. Mm-hmm. So had he already written a libretto for that, or it was just the he idea not, swimming around? He had not written a libretto, but he had, it had been sort of um, a, like a baby project of his for a while. I, I don't mean 
baby in a patronizing way, I mean that it was a project that he had held close to him mm -hmm. for a while. And he had actually, um, there was a previous incarnation that he had done of something along those lines. Uh, he could tell you better about it, but I believe um, something he had done a, a number of years prior. And oh, he yeah, yeah. There was like a rock yeah. opera kind of, I forget the name, but yeah. we did speak about it at length. Street yeah. beat, I think. And, and so I was very like deeply honored that somebody would entrust me with a project that they had kind of kept close to their heart for a while. Uh, so yeah, I definitely. was, yeah. Um, so the libretto came about actually after the music was written. And, oh, okay. yep. uh, and that's when we moved away from doing a literal Dante interpretation to Mike's view of it, which he sent it to me, and I just loved it immediately. I knew Mike is a journalist, but I'd never to do that kind of writing that's poetic, that you know, that that echoes of epic poetry, but also feels modern, almost like graphic novel, mm, yeah, like yeah. brevity. Yeah. Was uh, I, I just remember reading it and being truly moved by it, um, and really calling him and just being so effusively <laughs> into it. Uh, and yeah, I thought he did such a marvelous job. It was fantastic. So he um, he basically took the the poem and yeah, like I say, re recast it in a modern light. And yeah, yeah, the, the brevity of it was really important because that ends up becoming an integral part of your album artwork and refers yeah. back to the tunes. Yeah, exactly. Um, Max Crace did the album artwork, and he and Mike and I were in close contact about, you know, how, how things, how the three things would fit together. You know, I, I really, I only see the music as one part of the bigger picture, you know, so Max and Mike to me are very much my, my collaborators, collaborators and partners in crime. And then of course, Daniele, who helped with the artistic production, Daniele Gotardo, yes. uh, he, his role in it was incredibly important for many reasons but not the least of which is he's the only other person of whom I'm aware I know plenty of other people who have done it but who is a very serious guitar player who's also absolutely as serious about the study of composition and orchestration so he had had previous experience doing things like trying to get a good blend between electric guitar bass and drums with string quartet mm -hmm. and things like that you know it's a very specialized thing somebody you don't just go to a normal studio or a normal producer or a mix engineer and say hey here's this rock album p.s there's a string quartet on it <laughs> absolutely um, yeah it has to really be uh handled sensitively yeah I'm, I'm really interested to um get to that side of things like the literal production of it but also your writing how mm -hmm. you're writing for sure. for a rock band and and string orchestra as well. But did I hear you mm -hmm. right before? Did you say the music was finished before the the libretto was written? It was. Um, to be totally honest, I don't know if Mike thought I was ever going to finish the album. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it did take a long time. And part of it was that because I composed it mostly, mostly away from the guitar, uh, I used Sibelius, which is like a scoring program. Yeah, yeah. And it has... MIDI sounds that that require some imagination, sure. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, I'm familiar. It's not Which, that inspiring, the sounds, but on the page it, it looks is great. It. 
Yeah, it looks great. I mean, it, and it definitely helps uh, for things like getting your your scores perfectly prepared for the the musicians. And I like to work that way. I actually don't mind having to use some imagination because I like to be able. I'm constantly trying to develop more my my inner ear. Uh, but mm -hmm. that's of course a work in progress. So uh, so I think when I was in the process of working on it, I had sent Mike some little Sibelius, you know, MIDI files so he could hear it. And I think he had the problem that a lot of other people did with being like, so what instrument am I hearing? What is that? Yeah, you know, yeah, is that, that's an electric guitar. Yeah. And so I really wasn't able to share with him a lot of the stuff that was in progress. Cause I think it just didn't translate. It required too much imagination. And only I kind of knew what I was going for. So I think after we'd had a number of teas and meetings and stuff like that, and he'd made some comment that, that I could tell he, he wasn't, he was being super cool about it, but I could tell there was a little bit of skepticism that the album was ever going to get done. And basically I just said, okay, sit in my car. You're going to have to deal with some MIDI sounds. Like here's where we are with it. And and I basically played him the Sibelius tracks, and that's when he was like, oh, you've done quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, wasn't that the plan? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I kind of just thought you were going to do Hail Souls, but maybe with sort of this concept around it. I'm like, oh, well, crap, I, I did a lot more than, <laughs> than that. And not, not as a diss on my first album. I mean, sure. my first album was, you know, I, I meant it. And and I it was just a different thing. So uh, so at that point, that's when he, I think, really was like, okay. And he got very mobilized to do the libretto. But Mike, as you know, is like, it, it's incredible the amount of work that that man does and, and all of the... The, the fires he puts out and all the juggling he does. So oh, I, I don't, yeah. um, I don't fault him in the least for not prioritizing something if he thought it was never, if it, if it was going to be for an album that was never actually going to get finished. And since we'd never worked together before, he had no way of knowing whether I was going to be somebody who did a lot of talking and just never delivered. So, uh -huh. sure. um, yeah, he's yeah. quite amazing. He he juggles a really creative mind with a lot of you know managerial and nuts and bolts kind of work as well. I, I don't know how he does both sides of his life. He's amazing. And and his writing is really, really beautiful. Yeah. Um, and actually, I I couldn't say enough good about working with him. He brought so much, not, not just to the table in terms of just the concept and the libretto, but he was really important also with sort of like the, the final mix. He was He always pushed for like a more cinematic sound. Okay. So, yeah, yeah he brought a lot to the you know, this project wouldn't have happened without him. Yeah. No, that's, I guess as you've said a bit um, here and in other interviews I've heard, you know, it really seems like uh, a, a bigger collaboration than just a Gretchen Men album, although the music's obviously central to the whole thing. Right. Well, that was, the, that was always the goal. Yeah, cool. And, you know, and Max Crace's images were right from the get-go. I knew that I wanted to work with him and I, so he had a lot of time to think about it because, you know, I had a lot of music to compose mm -hmm. and everything he came up with, I just thought was so cool and so perfect. And, awesome. you know, Max just has such an incredible uh, artistry in his in his work. Great. Do you remember the first song you were, you started writing for the project? 
Yes, I do. Actually, the first song was the first song, Shadows. Okay, Shadows but yeah. at that, yeah. But at that time, actually, all of the not all, um, most of the titles were different for the up until the very end. Okay. Like the sheet yeah. that Mike Melinda gave me, it said like uh, the first one was uh, River Archeron, uh, and and they, they, there was like the title and then the kind of parenthetical like so river archeron like beginning or begin okay and then it was the judgment of minos limbo so we just kept limbo so for a long time actually most i think all of my sibelius scores still have the original titles of each of each track what it was conceived to be and sometimes i still think of them like cerberus became hound of hades but i I still often like have to remember like oh yeah yeah that's hound of hades okay yeah yeah so yeah but uh shadows was the first thing i wrote great uh, now, that yeah. track that's i mean it's a great i think it's a great representation of the album because there's um there's the ripping guitar but there's lots of mm -hmm. lots of string lots of unison lines with the string and call and response stuff mm, yeah yeah I, I also yeah harmonies too but yes um a very very immediate uh, announcement that the guitar and the violin will be per paired a lot and, and played off each other a lot sessions for the instrument yeah considering it's tuned in fifths not fourths like the guitar or are you just forcing these guys to play your guitar <laughs> no 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 i i do study orchestration and composition i actually have six orchestration books yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i and i study uh with a guy named thomas goss who does um a thing he has a website called orchestration online uh -huh. and he does uh, a really cool thing is incredible videos about about orchestration, but then also you we we can work from a distance. He's in New Zealand, although he's a Bay Area native. Okay. And uh, and so I, I I am continuing to learn about orchestration from him. But but throughout the process of my album, I study with um, a woman named Elizabeth Erickson, who's um, my composition teacher. Yep. I studied composition in college, but it's, you know, it isn't like you're like, okay, three years of composition. I know it all. I mean, <laughs> you're like three years of composition. I barely know how to do anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I studied with her. And fortunately for me, she plays not only violin, but also viola, cello, piano, and she sings. Wow. So Perfect. I was able to compose things and then have somebody who actually plays the instruments give me feedback. So even if I'm even if I'm reading my study of orchestration books, 
and trying to do all the things correct by the instrument and come up with things that that go under the fingers in a way that is idiomatically makes sense to the instrument. Yeah, um, of It's also yeah. very helpful to actually have somebody with the instrument in hand play through my score and say, okay, the second arpeggio here, if you change this middle note, you know, in one direction, it falls under the fingers really nicely. The way you have it written now is oh, okay, yep. playable but difficult. Yep. So I, I was getting that feedback from an actual you know, musician. Ah, oh, that's cool. So then um, in reverse then, were there any parts that became, you know, trickier on the guitar to actually make them work? Yeah, actually, totally. <laughs> um, one of the really nice, I take it as a big compliment. A lot of people have mentioned this. They're like, oh, it's not a guitar album. And yeah. I'm like, okay, that's great. And in my head, I'm remembering just how difficult some of the parts were to play. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I guess that's a good sign if it doesn't yeah. come across that way. But, oh, yeah, for sure, because... Very few things were written on the guitar. Shadows, you know, things like certain riffs, you can just tell are guitar riffs, like mm -hmm. the riff in Shadows or the, the riff in Hound of Hades. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the tapping line in um, Savages. Savages, yeah, cool. But, oh, Scotch, so much else. I would say easily 90% of it was written away from the instrument. So while I'm aware of things like the instrument's range <laughs> yeah, and yeah. things that are or are not playable, there were definitely times that I sat down to play something and was like, I felt this internal war between composer me and guitarist me. <laughs> and like, I feel like guitarist me would sit down to learn what the composer part of me had written and just gone like, Oh my God, why did I, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> you know, and so great. you have this like internal dialogue of like, you know, the composer being like, no, you're a limitless virtuoso and guitarist being like, what are you talking about? No, I'm not. <laughs> so, um, so I, yeah, there was definitely a lot that I sat down and I think very few things I actually ended up changing. I would change things only if the, if I found a way that it actually sounded better. Okay, but for sure. the most part, I would just sit down and have to woodshed like crazy on the stuff that I couldn't play. But actually, that was my that's that's the whole reason I try to write away from the instrument as much as possible is because I don't want I don't want to write music. I want to write music from from the composer part of my brain because as a guitar player, like. I don't know. I'm sure there are some people who are virtually limitless in their capabilities. I'm not one of them. And I don't ever want to write either to uh, veer away from things that are difficult for me, nor do I want to write to showcase anything, you know? Um, so I kind of feel like the technique that that I strive to achieve is that which my creativity demands. And... And and not any more, not any less. Yeah, so, sure. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. To me, I mean, the album strikes me as, um, I don't know, like the composition is the star on the album for me. The the guitar is awesome. Mm. I'm loving it. And the, the violin is, is uh, you know, very closely linked to that as, as one of the main melodic features, obviously. But, um, mm. yeah, the composition sticks out to me as the, uh, as the big deal. Oh well, thank you. That that I really appreciate that. I of course I love the guitar and it's the instrument that course, I yeah. happen to play. But I was more interested in 
putting the guitar into a larger ensemble, I feel like as much as there are so many fantastic guitar albums, I think I notice that the stuff that I tend to listen to the most involves ensembles. Okay. And as much as there are fantastic like one-man shows or one-man plays, so often I think we we find so much interest in terms of how people or characters, be they characters in a play or musical characters, about how you can juxtapose them and how they interact and how they blend. And that's what I was interested in exploring with this. I mean, still on the violin for a moment, if I may, there's some really great uh, yeah. techniques too. I mean, there's lots of um, pixicato. So, for example, on... Um, mm -hmm. I think Lake of Ice, you've got the nylon string, the classical guitar and the pizzicato. Yes. That's such a great texture when you combine those two. That was a, that was totally, that was one of those things. And I think the album, for the most part, this would be true. I feel like there are so many pieces that I never would have written had I not had the concept. And yeah, you think about how do you evoke certain, certain visuals or certain emotions. Uh -huh. And I remember this sheet that Michael Melinda had given me and it said like Lake of Ice, treachery. And then I'm thinking, like, what does that sound like? And how is yeah, treachery, right. how does that sound different from heresy? <laughs> you know, how does, you know, how do these things, how do you differentiate these circles of hell? How do you really make each one sound like its own unique place? And so sometimes I would go more with the emotional part of it, and sometimes I would go more with the visual. So Lake of Ice, I definitely thought more of Lake a lake of ice although if you if you've read dante and that particular circle of hell is that is some creepy stuff <laughs> <laughs> that's cool that's great yeah great texture um i think i'm hearing some spiccato on um on tombs where they're bouncing the string off yeah the, uh yeah off the, sorry yeah. bouncing the bow off the string uh-huh yeah uh oh um and maybe you're also thinking of those some coleño stuff on uh uh, also on Lake of Ice, actually. Oh, okay. So that's the yeah. So the wood of the bow. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Nice. And Colenio Batuta, which is like hitting the strings with it. Good fun. I mm -hmm. I don't know about you. I mean, you play with a bow. I know in Zeparella. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I have bow envy when I see all the expression you can create with a a violin bow. I do too. I know. I play. I always feel like I have to apologize to actual bowed string instrumentalists. Like if I ever find one at one of our shows, I forewarn them that I'm about to do terrible things with a bow. On a Les Paul. Um, I heard you on Jude Gold's show, which I loved. Um, you, oh. you, 
you mentioned there was some bowed guitar on that, and I was trying to listen to it on the album. I'm, I'm going to have a guess. I'll put myself out there. Was it on Beast? It was on Beast. Yes. Yours. Yes. Ten points. Yes. Cool. Good. Good. Yes. That is rad. Now on Beast, you're also playing some slide, which I think you do on um, Hound of Hades as well. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard you play slide before. You know, I do in, I haven't on my original stuff. Yeah. But I do in Zapparella. Oh, okay. So oh, actually, I feel like. You'd need one. Uh, yeah, for, well, he didn't play it on Whole Lot of Love, but you need it for those like backwards. Oh, okay. Da 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 So I do yeah, that with the, yeah, yeah. the slide on that. I think actually, as far as it seems like numbers are concerned what most people have seen me do is when the levy breaks with Zeparella because I think that video's got a lot of views now okay. I, don't, I don't check back on it but last time somebody told me it was like over 6 million so oh, wow. I feel like most people know me as doing slide stuff uh, and that's I don't know why I, I, I don't think I resisted doing it on uh, on Hail Souls but you know what I think it was is that I'd never played slide before playing in Zapparella. Right, yeah. And I don't consider myself a slide player, and mm -hmm. I I would like to be a lot better at it. I see somebody like Derek Trex or, or Jeff Backer, sure, you know, some sure. people who are really great at it. Yeah. And I think that I always felt like that I, I shouldn't do it. But then when you think of something like Beast or Hound of Hades, it's like Sometimes there's just a dirtiness that only a slide can get you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are you in standard tuning? I am. Uh, for everything except for uh, shadows, actually. Shadows, I have the A string tuned down to G. Okay. So it's kind of a weird tuning. Yeah. Oh, wait, and I... Did I tune down? I can't even remember. I would have to check. Maybe, maybe I'm tuned down to D and G on the low strings. But actually, I can't believe I don't remember that. I would have to check. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like D, G, D, G, B, E. So kind of like a, yeah. a G major, the, E minor, seven something. I, I almost never do any open tuning. So I'm, I'm an idiot about that. I, I saw Yvette Young play last night and she does tons of open tuning. Okay. She's awesome. But I'm completely lost in an open tuning. I just wrote something in Dadgad. Which was cool because, but I'm so easily disoriented. Yeah, I, I can handle drop D, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> cool. So tell me about the production. How does it work? So Daniele, um, uh, yeah, served as the producer. Is that correct? Yeah, we sort of co-produced it. Yeah, sure. Uh, he came. He came on board. Like, well, I would say. We, everybody had different roles because Mike Melinda also definitely had some valuable input at the very end. But yeah, Daniela yeah. did a huge amount of the artistic production. Yeah, cool. it, it actually started very, it came about organically because he had actually asked to do, uh, if my sister, Kirsten, who also was on, on my too. album. Yeah, cool. Yeah. If I could, if he could get some vocals from her for his album, Non Temperato, okay. that is yep. an absolutely yeah, breathtaking, well, like beautiful a similar album. Vein of, um... 
instrumentation and approach? That's actually how we met, is a mutual friend, um, Mike Bemisdurfer, uh, who actually produced like Jason or helped produce Jason Becker's some okay. of his yeah, records. Wow. He he knew what I was working on. He knew what Daniele was working on. And basically, Daniele and I knew of each other, but he kind of shoved us together and was like, you guys need to geek out together. And so cool. that's how we, we really officially met in a meaningful way. And so he, Daniele had asked me if I could record some of Kirsten from a distance. You know, he was in Italy. Yep. So we did that. And then as I was uh, figuring out the, the string situation for my album is when he had mentioned that he was performing some of his stuff live and he was saying that there was just the most amazing string quartet and that the first violinist was just beyond awesome. And, and he had also emphasized how, how inexpensive they were. Uh-huh. And that's when I thought, well, wait a minute. Like, I just produced some vocal tracks for him. Maybe he could do the same for me. So he did that. And Glauco Bretagnan is the first violinist. And oh my God, when I got his tracks back, I just, I, <laughs> they were just wonderful. And so at first I just had him do three tracks because, you know, it's a big, it's a big part. And yeah, I wanted to make sure it was the right match. And after I heard the first three, I'm like, okay, that's it. We're doing the whole album. Right. That's cool. Very cool. So are you are you bouncing tracks back and forth, I guess, over the net? Or did he come out to California at one stage or Yeah, we, we kind of bounce back and forth. So uh after those first three tracks is when I said, Okay, I'm coming to Italy and I want to be there for the rest of it. Because I actually realized that um I, I don't I don't mean to sound super cheap, but it's <laughs> it was actually cheaper for me to fly to Italy and record my tracks there than it was to hire comparable musicians in the United States. Sure, sure. And I thought, well, hey, you know, why not have an adventure and and get to do something really memorable? And and not only that, but there was something philosophically that I liked so much about having so many Italians on a concept album that is so inherently and importantly Italian. So... So I was happy to do that and to go out there and to actually meet the musicians and meet yeah, Hugo Bozzoni, the studio, the the producer or the the engineer and, and the guy who who mixed and mastered the record. Uh, it was just it was really good to be there. Yeah. And I because it, it, as fantastic as the musicians are, as amazing as Daniele and Hugo are, it, at the end of the day, it's my music. And so if it some there are certain things that are so much easier to convey in person. You can write as much as possible in the score, but sometimes a musician has a question of like, well, how quiet is this quiet? You know, how delicate is this delicate? And and so it was great to actually be able to be there. Yeah, and, that sounds totally exciting. Yeah. That'd be brilliant. And actually, being there was part of what even moved it, because initially it wasn't going to be string quartet. Initially it was just going to be violin. And after Glauco recorded the track Rise, the one for solo violin, yep. he came out and in his rather broken English said, you know, this is very well written. So I was all happy about that. Yeah, and then he's wow. like, you should write something for my string quartet. So he, I did not need to be asked twice. And so I came home and I started thinking about, okay, if I could have string quartet, which tracks – would it be appropriate to have it on? So I reimagined a lot of the the, the tracks that now have string quartet on them okay. for string quartet. Cool. I love the strings on um, Bloodshed during that really long middle section that sounds almost oh. through composed. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was great to have a full string quartet. And in fact, now I can't believe I ever considered not. <laughs> hire these guys to follow you around now oh i know gosh i wish i could are there any, are there any plans to take this um onto a stage i would really love to uh, at this at this time it's difficult to think about because of just well to be frank just the cost of, of course, having that yeah. many musicians and as you're familiar with the record it isn't it isn't stuff that you just do like a few days of rehearsal and you've no. got it together. I mean, the amount of rehearsal it would require is, I, I can't even imagine. Like, yeah, sure. A huge amount of rehearsal. And, and then on the other hand, there's no chance that I want to play it with backing tracks because that would be ridiculous. It sure. would be just encouraging people to hear it guitar-centrically and that's not how it's intended. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, would, I would love to do it. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, Sure. Um, back to the, the production, you mentioned Danielle is great at um, combining, combining you know, string section with, with like a rock, mm -hmm. a rock sort of mm -hmm. band. Did you have to make any concessions, say, with your tone or you approaching that regard to make it work? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, exactly. Uh, a lot of it had to do with uh, his input on what the guitar needed to be doing. Uh-huh. Not, not, not so much in terms of notes, but in terms of tone and in terms of how to get certain tones that combine really well with strings. So, yeah, his input on that was invaluable. Yeah, okay. I mean, the, the, they sit well. I mean, the guitar, you know, it's ended up sitting beautifully with the strings. Sometimes it's very similar, but sometimes that's some of the fun when you're doing those unison lines or those close harmonies. Right, right. right. How, about, um, how about gear? Did you do, was your white music man... Um, still a mainstay for you yes yes that was the absolute main guitar on the album i did use a les paul for the riff of shadows okay yep for hound of hades and for beast cool. obviously you know uh but but yeah the music man silhouette special was the main guitar on that and then i have the classical guitar i have uh that was on Hellward Swoon, uh -huh. Lake of Ice, and Grace is a Kenny Hill rock oh, uh, classical. Beautiful. Yeah, I think I think we spoke about that last time around. That sounds mm. beautiful. That guitar records beautifully as well. Oh, thank you. Cool. And Hound of Hades with the Les Paul. Yeah, that's that's where you get your metal going on. I think a little bit, right? Yeah, it's cool. <laughs>
him using amps over there? You're not probably lugging your own your own amps. No, no, I lug my own amps. Uh, I okay. So, oh, not not to Italy. To uh, Italy the guitars yeah. were all yeah, yeah. The guitars were all done here in the United States. Oh, okay. So okay, cool. yeah, what I did for most of it actually was you know an album like this cost is such a huge concern because it's like you can easily bankrupt yourself and everybody in your family if you wanted to (laughs) but uh so i was trying to be really conscientious about how and where to save money yeah sure and so i recorded the guitars at home Mm -hmm. and the way i did it is i have my uh angle amp set up literally in my garage with yep. the with the cabinet facing as unobtrusive of a way as possible, so facing inward toward my house yep. and away from my neighbors. The neighbors, yeah. <laughs> and I would try to do between normal hours of the day, like I don't know, like midday to early evening, yep. so that nobody would freak out. <laughs> and we we had it mic'd up and just going into my home Pro Tools, oh, like cool. my laptop. Yeah. But what what we did is we split the signal so we got a direct line from it. Okay. And then we went into the studio once we got the takes and we reamped it. So we so basically we got the takes at home. Yep. And then going into the studio to reamp is basically just bringing in the amps. And then actually what's really nice about that is you can then audition amps. Yeah, that's cool. So something that something that might sound good as you're playing it when you actually sit back and get your producer's ears on you might be like, oh, actually, that tone is a little more aggressive than I wanted it to be, or maybe I want a different flavor on that one. So after we got the takes, we brought it into Get Real Productions, which is the studio where I recorded uh, Hail Souls with okay. Robert Preston, yeah. and one of my favorite places to work. And we reamped it, and we auditioned amps, and I ended up actually using my angle for the vast majority of it. I, yeah, I, cool. I love, I brought my Marshall, my Engel, my two rock and my fender okay. and the fender actually isn't reamped. That, that was on limbo that, that I actually did in the studio. Oh, okay. And yep. then, and then the rest just the Engel ended up just being the right flavor and the right blend with the other, with the other instruments. I think I used that for even on some of the clean tones. Okay. Yeah, man. Sounds yeah. great. Sounds. Oh, thank you. Sounds big, that thing. So what, what model angle is that? It's a special edition, the 670 with EL34s. Oh, okay, yep. So maybe a slightly marshy flavor. It's like a little bit more, and it's got really good articulation. I think it pairs really nicely with the, um, with the Music Men silhouette. Yeah, cool. I mean, and I love the Turok as well. Uh, it, it just all came down to exactly what you said earlier, is what sits right with everybody. You know what has its own, what what blends well with the strings, what what has the right amount of sticking out without covering up stuff. Yeah, sure. So cool, nice. So the album's received, um, yeah, great critical acclaim. You must be pleased with the um, the reception of it. I'm I'm totally, uh, I don't know. I, I guess kind of speechless. I'm really happy that people have liked it. I I don't want to say that I expected people to hate it. Like I mean, I wouldn't sure. have I wouldn't have released something if I'm like, well, this is a bunch of crap. Like you know, <laughs> I, I I release something when it's the best I can do. Yeah. And so that was the best effort I could do. But I also recognize that it it's really composed music. It's 
I, did, I really didn't know how people were going to feel about it, but I knew, I knew something was good when, um, when both one of my friends who's like a woman in her seventies and she's from France and she didn't even know who David Bowie was like mm -hmm. that's, and when she said she listened to it and that she loved it so much that she cried between that and my, my six year old nephew having it be his first request for dance parties. I was like, well, that's awesome. That's like, that's, cool. that's great. <laughs> um, so I was really happy how many like non musicians felt like it was accessible. And yeah, it's, I've just been so honored that people have listened to it with such open ears and, some of the emails I've gotten from people who've who've listened to it, it's almost like poetic. Like uh -huh. it's so beautiful. I actually have been saving them. Cool. That's awesome. Well, that's great. Well, it's a it's a brill brilliantly crafted album um, with so many facets oh, to it. Thank you. I actually listened to it. I purposefully listened to it without the libretto just to get into mm -hmm. the music, and then I read the libretto, and that obviously adds a lot more depth. But um, mm. Even even on its own two feet, uh, the the composition's really really cool. I mean, you understand there's a story going on. The, you know, like the drum solo for Century that, that's like telling a story mm. all by itself already, um, but with the mm. with the text that that obviously adds the depth. But yeah, just the composition mm. itself is really super cool. So, Aww. so congratulations. Thank you so much. I really really appreciate it. Now, Michael Melinda hinted when when I spoke to him that there might be some other albums. Um, perhaps between you and Daniele that, that might follow this theme is can you confirm or deny uh, I can say that here, here's what I'll say when I got when I was right at the end of working on this album and it was I think it was all done and just we were basically just kind of timing the release as I realized I was just so grateful for the whole thing I, I was so blown away by the Every single person who worked on it, everybody was awesome. The musicians were fantastic. The recording, the mixing, Mike's contribution, Max's contribution, everything was so fantastic. And Daniela and I were driving and I said to him, like, oh my God, like I just wish I wish you could have I wish you could also have such a great experience as I just had. I mean, he's been perfectly happy with the people he's worked with. Sure, you sure. know, he, in fact, you know, he was the one who brought in Ugo yeah, and, yeah. and, and the string players. And then it kind of occurred to me, I was like, there's two more. <laughs> like we got Purgatorio and Paradiso, you know? So, um, so that became very interesting. Uh huh. All right. Well, we'll take that as what you've just said. <laughs> so <that's, laughs> We'll stay tuned. Um, yeah, obviously yes, whatever yes. happens next is, is um yeah it could be awesome could be awesome but this album on on itself if this is all we hear of this this idea it's it's brilliant what's the um what's the rest of 2017 look like for you Gretchen ah uh, boy it has been so busy but in a wonderful way I think the only my only stress or I, I shouldn't say regret but my only I, I'm a preparer and I like to be if somebody asks me to do something, I like to really be as prepared as possible so I can give it my best. Some people are great at doing stuff on the fly, but that's I'm definitely a work in progress with that. Uh -huh. So I feel like it's been a whole already. There's been a huge diversity of stuff going on from Zeparella shows. To, I was writing some and doing some lessons for Acoustic Guitar Magazine. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, just did an 
a, a demo for um, an amp company this past week. I got to jam with Tracy Guns. I got to see Yvette Young. I, you know, and now I'm about to leave for shows with Zapparella. And I'm just wrote a piano quartet for my orchestration class. So wow, nice. It's, I feel like I'm always going in a million different directions. And sometimes I wish I could just focus on fewer and that maybe I'd get better <laughs> at sure. those one or two things. But what would you focus the on there? If, if you had that, to... Exactly. I don't know. That's the thing is that it's like, I, I, I say that and then I immediately follow it up with, but that's, that's who I am. And if that's, if that unique, we, we all bring a unique combination to, to the world. Every person does. And the more you can, I think, stay true to whatever it is that drives you to do what you want to do creatively, the, the, the better chance you have of doing something that, that is of quality and integrity and, and, and that might ultimately lead to the holy grail of creating something that really is very unique and personal, you know, creating your own voice. So I just, the way I see it is I just juggle a million things and I work from the time I get up until about midnight and I don't take days off and I love what I do. Fantastic. Well, that sounds like a pretty good plan <laughs> with all the stuff going on. That's Yeah, that's cool. Um, Gretchen, thank you so much for your time today. I've been really looking forward to talking about this album. Um, yeah, I as I said, I loved it since I heard it and um, just listening to it over, it really grows on you and you really start to um, mm. uh, just to engage with it. Uh, it needs a few listens, I reckon. It's so There's a lot of depth. and um, So it's been great talking uh. to you about that. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate being able to chat about it. It's there's nothing I like more than talking about music, whether it, it, music in general it doesn't have to be my music, but yeah, sure. it means so much to me that that you've listened to it so openly and that you wanted to talk about it. So thank you. All right, there's my interview with Gretchen Men, and yeah, I wanted to talk about that album. Man, so good. So good. So I totally encourage you to check it out. Now, you can get it digitally through, you know, your usual kind of places, but I'd encourage you to check it out uh, and to buy it through Gretchen's own website. That way you get all the artwork, all the album credits, and uh, and the libretto written by Michael Melinda. So you get the full experience of the album. So I can do it that way. Now, speaking of Michael Melinda, we uh, interview him in episode 38 and uh, we talked about this album and a whole bunch of other Guitar Player Magazine stuff. Um, Jude Gold got a mention in this episode and we spoke to him in episode 32. And we did like a really uh, fairly extensive overview of Gretchen's career back in episode 18. So um, any of those interviews are good to check out now. Um, how can you find them? Go to guitarspeakpodcast.libson.com. You can find all the episodes from our last year and a bit. Um, or even better yet, subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher, and that should look after you no matter what device you listen to your podcasts on. And then you get new episodes from us delivered straight to your device thingamajig. All right, that's it for me. My name's Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Bye now. <laughs>